Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon Reads A Song of Ice and Fire, Episode 197, Arya 5 in A Game of Thrones. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. This is our last Arya chapter in A Game of Thrones. Are you ready? For not only the last chapter, but like, this is, this is a big chapter. A lot of things happen. Why? What happens? Oh, it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) But are you ready? (laughs) For anything to happen. Yeah. Mostly dad dying. Yeah. Mostly dad's dead. That's a bummer. That's a bummer. Bummer And I want to bring the energy back up. Yeah. A bummer for all. I want to bring that energy back up before we get to the bummer (laughs) for all of dad being dead. And I want to talk about our Patreon episode this month, which, you guys, if you haven't already, check us out at patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon. Uh, we've got a couple tiers over there, and one of them is the stranger tier, the $5 tier and above, who gets bonus episodes every month. Sometimes there'll be a Song of Ice and Fire themed, right? Like The Wind's a Winner, or maybe even George themed, maybe a novella or novelette by George R. R. Martin. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're shows. Last month, we talked about road trips in A Song of Ice and Fire and out of it in all other media and books and different things we like. And this month, we're coming to you with something truly blessed, something truly Truly amazing. In honor of Leo's Everywhere for Eliana's birth, in my opinion, we're coming to you with a fun movie. Eliana, what's the homework? What do they got to watch? All right, everyone. We are going to be doing the Netflix original movie. Revenge. (laughs) Do Revenge, which I don't actually know of anyone in this. I'd have to check everyone's signs. Um, Is Leo, but it's got that energy. But also it fits in with... A Song of Ice and Fire, and we're going to talk about why in just a second. Do Revenge, it's a comedy on Netflix by director Jennifer Caton Robinson. And here are some of its stars. Camila Mendez, whom some of you may know from Riverdale fame. I have fallen behind on Riverdale, but I got pretty far. I got at least season, I don't know, four or five. And Maya Hawke, who is of fame because both of her parents are very famous, but also <laughs> Stranger <laughs> Things. Oh, yes. Nepo baby fame. Yeah, Nepo baby fame. She looks just like both of her parents, somehow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's also Austin Abrams. If you watched Euphoria, you'll know him. He was Ethan, I think, in Euphoria, season one and two. Uh, uh, yeah. That's right. Talia Ryder, who is a Leo. We did it. Have you been looking up everyone's birthdays after I said that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh. And then, of course, there's an actor in it most of you probably know. Sophie Turner. And she's fucking hysterical in it. She plays very funny. Very funny. Yeah. This is her calling. I think comedy, as uh, I've been telling Chloe. But besides the fact that Sophie Turner is in it, like, has some absolutely, I think, (laughs) show-stealing scenes hilarious hilarious in it i just feel do revenge the idea of doing revenge it's a very Arya stark-esque yeah idea yeah the summer of Arya can continue the summers yeah. the many summers we're about to have of Arya stark can continue with it it is based on two girls who want to be doing revenge against someone 
So they join up while doing their said revenges, and it is their said revenges. Yeah, wait, what is it? What, what should we call ourselves? I don't know. What about something like the Revengers? The Revengers, yeah. <laughs> they become Revengers, yes. Uh, yeah, it is not a Marvel movie, and even though I guess Sophie Turner was in the Marvel movie, technically. Facts. Not from MCU. <laughs> well, it's not Marvel yeah. MCU, but it is from Marvel Comics. I really look forward to covering this movie chatting about it. It should be a fun episode. And uh, I look forward to whatever we throw at you next month. You know, we want to do something fun for the summer, but as we get to the autumn, it begins, the summer's ending. We'll find something good. Keep your ears peeled. (laughs) Why do you always say keep your ears peeled? Because usually it's keep your eyes peeled, but you can't keep your eyes peeled Mm. because it's a fucking podcast and we say things to them. Something else that's happening is... August 27th, for patrons in the Thunder Tier and above, you can join our August happy hour slash brunch, our brappy hour. Bruppy. Brappy hour. She's trying to make it happen. Stop (laughs) trying to make brappy hour happen. Yeah, our brunch happy hour in August is going to be on Sunday the 27th at 3 p.m. ET. So come around for that one, or if you can't make that one, check it out in September. It's going to be September 23rd, Saturday, 3 p.m. ET, and uh, shenanigans will ensue, I am sure. And of course, we are back with Sailor Moon this month, and we are covering season three, the best season. Yes. Yes! And we will have uh, Outer Senshi, just to spoil the season a little, but you know what? The storyline's been out. Since basically the first book that I Game of Thrones, so... You know it's kind of fucked up that I was sitting then. here and I was like, yeah, almost 30 years, and I'm like... No, it's been more than 30 yeah. years. They've celebrated that Yeah, it's been more than 30, I know. Well, yeah. So I'm sitting here like, damn. Yeah. So anyways, that's... That's happening. I too have celebrated my 30th anniversary. Oh my god. <laughs> We're seeing if we will also potentially have any outer senshi with us as well. Yeah, Unsure. fingers crossed we can uh, bring an outer senshi on in. Well, some of you have written in. We're saving it till next week. We've got a lot going on today. I don't yeah, know if you this know this, but the- our dad is dying. <laughs> yeah, actually. So we were like, mm, maybe not yet. Sorry. But we got some good emails. We got some really good emails. Stay tuned. Yeah. Stay tuned. But until then, let's hop into our lightning round, starting with Sansa 4. Sansa can't stand the idea of going home to Winterfell. Chain reactions are caused by this. John 7. John saves the Lord Commander from a white. Bran 6. Osha tells Bran that the true war is in the north, but Rob marches south anyway. Catelyn 8. Catelyn and Brynden meet Rob at Mount Caelan, where war plans are revised. They must win or die. There is no middle ground. Oh my god. Tyrion 7. Tyrion arrives safely with his guard of Vale clansmen to the inn at the crossroads to meet his father. Sansa 5. Sansa begs for mercy for her father. Eddard 15. Varys comes in Eddard's final hour to tell him about all of the mistakes that he's made. Big sad final hour! (laughs) Okay. Catelyn 9. Catelyn negotiates crossing the Green Fork with Walder Frey so that, you know, they can get there faster to save Ned. John 8. John receives a Valyrian steel sword from J.R. Mormont. Aemon reveals his identity to John. Tyrion 8. Tywin has been tricked at the Battle of the Green Fork. Tyrion meets Shay. Catelyn 10. 
Jamie Lannister is taken captive. And that brings us here to Game of Thrones, Arya 5. Dad, no! Wow. Here we are. You know, yeah, we just read through all those little lightning rounds, and I'm like, damn, we've done most of those. Actually, kind of we wild. have. What could be next? Yeah, we've done what almost could be next? all those, yeah. So, Dad, no. Dad, no. We open up the chapter with Arya stalking through the Street of Flower. We get a lot of great exposition and world building down on the ground in King's Landing. Arya's chasing a pigeon, breaking its neck. Lots of pigeon chasing going on, like me playing uh, my medieval dynasty mm, game. Mm. Pigeons were easier than cats, she thinks, and a passing Septon stares at her, and she tells him, this is the best place to catch pigeons. She's catching pigeons, and I will say she is basically only one year away, right, from being old enough to go on a journey to become a Pokemon master. So this is great training for her. And we were discussing, like, I mean, how good of a swordsman could she really be? She had to cut her lessons off early. But, you know, she's finding other ways to keep her skills sharp in very practical ways, right? Like, I, I think that hitting a pigeon, it seems very hard. It seems like it requires a lot of accuracy, which is great because you got to stick them with mm -hmm. the pointy end. Her sword is not a slashing sword. We also have this line here that I, that stood out to me because I thought it was like a fun line. Then I thought about it a little more. It says, compared with catching cats, pigeons were easy. And I'm like, oh, catching cats, like Arya, is hard. But pigeons, little birds, easily caught. Just like Sansa, who's caught after this mm. chapter. Oh, that's great. That's a really good catch. Good brain. Hey, catch. Nice braining. Um, yeah. Ah! <laughs> you're lagging for me. That's all. <laughs> Yeah. Mm. Well, her Pokemon journey is going to start a little earlier than planned, right? She ties her pigeon to her belt. She starts down the street. A man with tarts, blueberry, lemon, and apricot tarts. Oh, that sounds so fucking good. He wheels his cart through and she's like, hey, can I have a lemon, mister? A lemon tart or, you know, anything? And he's like, three coppers after looking at her. She offers her pigeon for trade, for barter. And he's like, no. For a moment, she looks with her eyes and she kind of surveys him and sees, oh, I could really outmaneuver this guy. And she starts thinking about grabbing a tart and running, but he stops her and he's like, you better keep your hands off. The gold cloaks will deal with you if you try anything. And of course, two gold cloaks do decorate the mouth of the alley and they look kind of serious. Arya hurries off the sight of them alone, tying her stomach into knots. Uh, two things. One... That this man could look at, like, a starving kid and be so cruel. Like, he he judged her and chose how much to charge her based on what he saw. That's true. Yeah. Right? And that he's so cruel, like, it is a starving child right now. Yes, it's Arya Stark, but he doesn't know that. It's just a kid that is living on the streets, fucking living in burnt-out barns right now, starving. So, he why, just give her one, dude. Just give her one, okay? First. But then second... I love that Arya grew up in a family that has given her so much privilege. She's like, hey, can I have one? <laughs> hey, can I have one of those? You know, I think that's so funny. I'm like, Arya, you can't just go to a man who makes his life and business off of this shit and think you can just have it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think I caught that he did. It seems like he did raise the price based on mm -hmm. Arya's appearance, right? Because he definitely was just like, I don't want this kind of clientele, which is pretty shitty and but i also like kind of see the latter part of what you were saying too right like point two because i mean 
She does have a pigeon, which is arguably probably more nutritious than a fruit tart, because I'm like, you know, a fruit tart, all that sugar, all that butter, flour, that is like a luxury, right? Like, I don't know if this man can just afford to just give out a luxury dessert to every starving kid, because there's probably a bazillion of them at, in Flea Bottom. He gives out one, like, you know, how does he decide, like, to whom to give it out? Like, this is his living it's possible he has, like, two kids also, or more kids, I don't know, mm -hmm. that are Arya's age that he needs to also keep from starving. But also, as you said, right, she's like, can I just have a tart? And then is thinking about just stealing from this man and, I don't know, kind of feeling entitled to that tart. And, I don't know, I think I'd be more empathetic to it if I were if Arya wanted to, like, steal an apple, right, and had absolutely nothing. And I'd be like, oh my god, just give her, like... The sustenance or a banana not that they probably have bananas but you know how much could one banana cost but it is full of potassium very very nutritious even though i have mixed feelings about bananas um talk about them another hey, there's time there's always money in the banana stand <laughs> there's Eliana. always money in the banana stand but uh i guess the guy could have at least agreed to trade for a pigeon which again probably pretty nutritious sounds like it was a really but good it's like pigeon. what it what is he going to do with it, though, right now? He can eat it. He's in the middle of working. It's raw. It's dead. And he has all these beautiful fruit tarts. Like, that's not going to help him right now. He just What is he going to do? Turn around and put it in his mini fridge? I, I don't know. He can... What is everyone else doing? He can go salt it, go bring it, trade it for a bowl. I don't know. He can do something with the pigeon. But you're right. Actually, that that is another great point. What is he going to do with the pigeon? You're right. This was a useless trade She's on Arya's part. Um, she's never had to worry about this. She's never I mean, had to worry about money before. Um, ever. Yeah. Not once. Yeah. And like, that's why. It's like Elf. This is literally just like oh Elf. Oh my god, it is a little like Elf. But you're right. Like, that, you're right. That probably wasn't a good trade. So, in terms of, you know, street smarts and survival skills, I think. She's learning. She's learning, but also this man who has had to, who has not had probably as privileged of a life as Arya. Maybe he was a starving kid once. He knows how to not look like an easy mark because he sees that Arya is ready to like just steal things and he knows that look. He's like, I'm not an easy mark. So anyway, I'm just, I feel like his life has probably been harder than Arya's was up until now that he had to learn all that. But also none of this is in the text about this man. He really could be an asshole. And I just made up all of this shit about this man. He's really not that cool. And I don't know why I talked about him so much. Oh my god. He's not important, <laughs> I guess, in the large scheme of things. No, I think it's fair, though, because this is the beginning of her arc with, you know, class consciousness in general. Sure. Uh, yeah. A clash of kings. I mean, this is the kind of person she is amongst. And they capture her in disguise, not as Arya, but, like, they capture her just the same as they capture all these sorts of people who don't comply when, you know, levies and taxes and cruelty is really being waged against them for no fucking reason. So I think he is kind of important. Like, we don't know this guy's life, but context clues to me say that right now he's carrying a fucking cart in the middle of the road of King's Landing. And to your point, if he gives one tart out, well, how many is he going to have at the end of the day? How many is he going to keep handing out? There's just a lot of There's starving a lot of kids. Hungry kids. Yeah. It's no um, one's one job. I yeah. Don't know. It's like a shitty system and like, you know, this guy's obviously not in charge of it. It's uh it's the other people, right? Like who are of the same class as Arya now that I think about it. So you know what? 
it's a bad system is all I'm trying to say. <laughs> okay. The man has somehow become important again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. All right. All right. Anyway. So Arya had stayed away from the Red Keep as much as possible, avoiding it. But even from here, she can see the decaying heads on spikes outside of the keep. And crows are flying overhead. It's pretty gritty. Pretty gross. Literally overhead. The gossip is all over. Over, literally. Oh my god. Most things do go over her head. She's very short. Wow. The gossip is kind of all over uh, about what's actually happened. And so what Arya has figured out so far is for true. The gold cloak sided with the Lannisters. Some say her father killed King Robert, or that Renly killed him and fled, or the king was killed by a boar hunting, or that he died eating a boar, died at table, or he was poisoned by varies, or a pox, or choked on a fish bone. One way or another, the king is dead. The king is dead. And the info about the gold cloaks in Jano Slint, though, it actually is incredibly accurate, which I think is the story showing us about how information works in A Song of Ice and Fire and kind of telling us, teaching us about, you know, what Arya's storyline is going to be about later on in The House of Black and White with learning things, but also ties in well with Davos' storyline and other parts of Arya's storyline, sure. That both show about how to get accurate news, and I mean, even varies as plots with the little birds. Yeah, there are a few more things we'll come to here, but it stands out really well who actually has the correct gossip, and that the correct gossip is there before maybe some of the other people can even get it. Mm -hmm. The bells ring for a day and a night. Arya wants to go home, but King's Landing is not really easy to leave. Gold cloaks are everywhere, talk of war. She sleeps in Flea Bottom on rooftops and stables, and soon she also has fleas. There's this one phrase that I just really liked when they're talking about the bells, all the bells ringing for Robert. It's like the thunder of their grief, and I just thought that was, that was some really clever language there from George to talk about the passing of a Baratheon. Oh, I love that. I didn't even realize. I really love that. It's just nice. Arya would visit each of the seven city gates daily. The dragon, the lion, the old, all barred and closed. Look at all this exposition. So good. It's world building, the mud gate, the gate of the gods. Those ones are open, but only for uh, those who are entering the city. Those who were allowed to leave could take the king's gate or the iron gate. But there are Lannister men guarding the gates or searching wagons belongings and questioning passersby and Arya thinks about you know swimming the black water rush which is really interesting um but it's too fast and deep she has no coin to be taken across and it turns out her dad never taught her how to steal wow crazy and she was really <laughs> starting to wonder why and it's okay Arya you'll have a coin to be taken across much bigger waters and deeper waters in two more books Yes, indeed. It really stands out, all of her arc being etched out here, right, of what he wants for her, George being he, he being the artist here. But like that George, you know, wants her to travel on ships, maybe, and wants her to go over to places like Bravos and to learn some of these different things. Um, just all these bits that are scattered through this chapter is so nice how he connects it throughout the next couple of books. Food, the small folk, all of it. and. I do have to point out, it's kind of cool to read this chapter while being focused on Arya. I don't think before this reread, I'd ever really re read this chapter and thought anything like A to Z in a linear way when I'm just reading mm. the books normally. Yeah. 
I mean, it's a chapter about Ned, usually, I think, when you read it, because you're in the throes of all these chapters leading up to War versus the Lannisters, and Catelyn and Rob are calling the banners, and Sansa is, you know, pleading in court, and everything's about Ned, everything's about Ned, leading up to this moment where Ned is fucking dead. Um, (laughs) And I guess just it happening here, it really takes you out of it, usually, but this is really nice to actually not really give a shit about it only for Ned. It's nice. Yeah. It's a nice thing. Yeah, you're right. Like, it gives you a lot about Arya. And also, it's like, it's just a fantastic world-building chapter as well. Tells you a lot about the other people who inhabit the lands of Ice and Fire. I would also venture to add real quick, I'd say, like, it's probably the most we get to spend in King's Landing outside of the Keep. I think so. This chapter. I actually think it is, because I was wondering that earlier. I was like, is this, like, the best view that we get a flea bottom thus far? Which, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, other than you know what we were given in a, uh, the House of the Dragon. Yeah. Well, now that Arya was able to take down birds with her sword, great leveling up. She wasn't quite as hungry, but she does worry that the pigeon is making her sick, especially because she ate some of them raw. <sighs> oh no, Arya, <laughs> baby, what is you doing? What is you doing? I am uh, I'm a little. What a bummer that she's eating that. <laughs> of course you're going to feel sick. But also, like, yeah, where are you going to cook it right now? Everyone is looking for you. You're getting chased, we'll learn, out of places. Like, you're just a kid. Where the fuck are you going to go cook this at? She can literally just throw it in a fire and roast it. But except, turns out, because she's a rich girl, she has no- and, and she is a child. A lot of children don't know how to. But she literally just does not know how to cook, nor apparently how to start a fire. So- Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which okay. and she's she's going for the pigeons because of course they are free, low cost option, which I do understand the logic behind that too, because I found out that I could get rice and wheat for free in Tears of the Kingdom, and I was like, What the fuck? Why have I been paying for anything? Why was I buying these things <laughs> when I could have just been making it myself for free? So I understand Arya's industriousness here and i have to say i also do because i got my computer back it's been broken and i got it back today so i maybe played medieval dynasty for like two hours or so just to you know get her back together get the gang back together and i was really far from my resources and i had no food except for raw meat bird meat raw meat and i ate it i got poisoned because of it but I, I cured myself after. But yeah, yeah, I ate that shit because my guy was hungry. If your guy's hungry, you got to eat. And that's IRL too. If you're hungry, you got to eat. I think like if it were a clean bird, she could have been fine. But these are like pigeons, you know, hanging out amongst <laughs> a lot of waste, not just human waste, a lot of different kinds and garbage. So yeah. unfortunately, you know, yeah. pigeons, rats of the sky. My God. So she had traded half her bird here and there for a heel of yesterday's bread and a bowl of brown. And uh, at these pot shops, as they're called, which is not what I think of when I think of pot shops, but at these pot shops, um, they'd even crisp the other half of the bird for you if you defeathered it already. So there's that. Arya really wants a cup of milk and a lemon cake, but the bowl of brown isn't so bad. There's barley carrot onion turnip apple and unfortunately like a film of grease swimming on top of it but like you know what are they they're not like michelin chefs they're not gonna skim the fat off the top for you they got other things to do she just had to not think about whatever the meat is and remembers that once she had gotten a piece of fish a piece (laughs) 
one piece. <laughs> a single piece. There's something standing out to me here with, like, the cannibalism, obviously, of those that are completely starving being forced to eat, right? And that to feed a country that is starving, that has no money because the money's being hoarded at the top by corruption, uh, to do all that, right? All that stuff. There's definitely something with that kind of, you know, introduction of class and having to eat poorly in order to stay alive and cannibalism and being driven to that in order to eat kind of hanging out and lingering in this chapter of not, you know, knowing what that pale meat you have in your bowl is. And of course, later in that House of Black and White as well, where I definitely think there's a connection. Yeah, there's, that's really interesting with um, the connections in the House of Black and White. And yeah, it, it really comes up throughout the books in a couple of people's ways and I hadn't thought about it in Arya's plot so much so that's interesting we usually think about it in brands mm -hmm. it's also interesting as it's tied to for example like Micah right and thinking about seeing the people and people's bones just looking like animal bones because you know we are animals you know, they we do yeah. it like they do on the discovery channel and oh my god <laughs> I will say to speak of actual tastier things um shops with really old bowls of brown or like bowl soups that are like years and years old and just like keep going yes the perpetual stews apparently like that might have yes. been speculated to have been common during like medieval times they'll be called like you know a potage or probably like a pot au feu um like a pot on fire or whatever but there are like real ones there are real ones that you can have today. Maybe they are not hundreds of years old. Um, I don't think, I guess, Arya said they were hundreds of years old, but whatever. Decades old, especially, like, in Southeast Asian countries. Like, I know I've definitely seen on a couple of, like, travel, like, food shows or whatever. A couple of them in Thailand. There's apparently, like, maybe one in, in Japan as well. And, like, you know, the... The, the soup, it's just, like, constantly cooking in, in, like, there, and then, you know, the heat kills the bacteria, even though it's there for forever, and then, like, they'll just keep replenishing it, and I don't know. Sounds very cool. I'm obsessed with them, and I've been, like, watching a lot of videos on them for the last Ooh, couple of years, yeah, too, just yeah. out of this obsession. Yeah, they're so amazing. There's actually, there are a bunch of TikTok people that actually, like, live stream it, too, oh. which is cool. Their own perpetual stew. That's cool. Like, it's kind of neat. You'll to, I'll have to send you some, but <laughs> yeah, I love yeah, food, throw, man. Send us some. We'll link, we'll link mm -hmm. a couple of our fave videos, and by our, I mean, a couple of Chloe's fave videos in yeah. the show I notes. also... To go with Dad dying. <laughs> I want to add that... Yeah, dad's death. And with that pigeon stew, uh, there's also in Bushwick right now mm. in New York, in Brooklyn, there is a perpetual stew that's been going for a couple of months now. Uh, and okay. you might have seen it maybe like on the New Yorker and a bunch or New York Times. Sorry, not New Yorker. I have not. You might have seen it in the New York Times. Yeah. Well, I'm not talking oh, to sorry. you. I'm talking to the people listening to me. Eliana. Of course. <laughs> I'm just of kidding. Course, of course. Wow, well, no, to my friends, should. my fans. Yes, yes. Uh, but no, it's great. They keep it vegetarian every week. Oh. They meet like once a week on a Sunday, I think, or someday, one, a weekend day. And they like meet in a park and people come and they give out. And every, it's become big. Like people are donating stuff all the time. And there's so many ingredients being donated now that they're like, well, you might see your ingredients next week when we bring it out. But they've been cooking wow. it still in the apartment during the month. That's so cool. Yeah. Big stone soup energy. Um, 
Yeah, they started on June 7th this year. Okay, that's not that long ago. So anyway, you too can experience this bowl of brown, but not with a pigeon because it's vegetarian. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe for the better. Maybe for the better. Yeah. Well, no people. The pot pot shops. (laughs) No people, Jesus, that we know of, I guess. People stuck. The pot shops she visited were always busy. She could feel everyone's eyes on her, and she had actually been followed out into the alleyway and chased a few different times, but no one would catch her. Yeah, there's this line here of also, like, some when Arya feels them watching her, she can also, like, feel sometimes their eyes trying to get underneath the leathers, right? And again, um, reminding everyone of, of the excerpt that Lo had sent us from Sara Ahmed, and about, uh, the again, the whether or not someone accepts the assignment of womanhood and how accepting the assignment can be dangerous to be recognized as a woman in regards to Arya feeling those eyes trying to get under her leathers. But also Lo reminds us that there are, Lo reminded us in Discord um, in response to some of the stuff last week that there are dangers when people reject womanhood, right? As we see with Arya in Clash and how people try to reinforce and re reassign, I guess. Um, people to that task and also with Brienne's storyline. Um, and I'm sure I'm sure that this has been discussed already by Sarah Ahmed, but arguably, I mean, I would say that there are psychological dangers to rejecting womanhood as well that we see in Arya's storyline, even in a Game of Thrones, right? In terms of like how Septimore Dane basically, I mean, it affects Arya very deeply on an emotional level when Arya has to reject the, some of those facets of womanhood. So this is probably not a novel thought. Um, yeah. Pointing it out. We especially see it at the end of this chapter, right? Even when she is, for protection, going to be transformed before our eyes into a boy for everyone to see instead of a girl, right? With the idea of, like, Yorin grabbing her hair and cutting it off. Uh, it's a very violent moment, and it's, like, the first of many from here on out that she experiences. Yeah. Right? And we received a great email um, talking about that and this assignment um, as well. From, from a listener, which we will come back to next week because dad is dying. Um, so anyway. Arya's silver baby bracelet was also stolen like the first night she was out of the castle. Uh, her good clothes were also stolen, all while she slept in a burnt out house in Pig Alley. And they left her the cloak she was in and the leathers on her back, her wooden practice sword, and thank God Needle was below her so nobody could steal it. Yes. No one can take her family from her, but also... I kind of think of, you know, was losing the silver baby bracelet, is this like in a way could be interpreted as Arya's stolen childhood? Yeah, I I mean, it echoes last week, right? When it was all spilled on the ground, like all of her innocence just fucking destroyed when she found it, right? All of her chances and hopes and dreams. So yeah, throw it in there. Throw Throw it in. (laughs) In the stew, the stew, the the perpetual stew that is our podcast. (gasps) Wow. Wow. Is that what the Feast for Crows is? Oh my god, a feast for feasts, it's us. The The perpetual stew of all podcasts. That might be our new tagline. It could be. The perpetual stew of literature podcasts. (laughs) We're doing do revenge this month, everyone. (laughs) We threw that into the stew. Stew revenge! Stew revenge! Uh, Anyway, we'll let you all stew on that a little longer. Since then, Arya's kept her cloak draped over her arm, concealing the blade at her hip. She keeps her wooden sword in her left hand to scare off robbers. But some of the men in the pod shops wouldn't have been scared even if she had a battle axe because, you know what? Hard to be scared sometimes of a child. Needless to say, she lost her appetite. It was easier to go to bed hungry rather than 
risk the stairs later on, and outside the city she planned to forage for fruits, remembering seeing them on the King's Road and roots that are in the forest, maybe even rabbits. And in the city, the only things to run down were rats and cats and scrawny dogs. The pot shops would give you a fistful of coppers for a litter of pups, she'd heard, but she didn't like to think about that. Me either, dude. I don't like to think about that. Oh, I just remembered just like the beginning of this book. Oh, the litter of... Yeah. I get it with the... That's, yep. The pups. The litter of pups. Mm -hmm. I see it now. I see it. And think about that. They would give you a fistful of coppers for a litter of pups. So three coppers for a tart. Three coppers for a tart is interesting to think about. A fistful of coppers. So how many coppers do you think that is? 50 cents? 25 cents? Honest, like... You mean like coppers inside one fist? I don't know. I'm trying to. I'm. I'm looking at my hand. I am making. I am fisting right now. Oh my God. <laughs> and how many do you think you could hold? Like I, I don't know. Twenty. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Twenty coppers is like not a lot of coppers when she just bought a tart for. He tried to sell her a tart for three coppers. I'm just saying, like a litter of puppies for twenty cents compared to. Three cents for a tart? Inflation's bad down yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, obviously, also, as you pointed out, he seems to have upcharged, probably. But, yeah. I don't know. I but the 20 cents for a dog is more, or for more than one dog is more, but I'm like, damn, that's fucked up. But it makes sense. I'm just learning the economy. Yeah, I'm also like, that's all. I mean, maybe it's more more than a fist, than 20, but I don't know. Like, one dog? Yeah. For a whole tart? Like, dang. That's quite the trade. Yeah. That's a really luxurious tart, but anyway. Well, it's a puppy. The street of flower was a maze. Arya had learned to stay to the center of the street to avoid being pulled into alleyways or walking near buildings where you could get dragged around. Uh, even if you had to run away from the horses and the wagons, it was much better that way. She watches a gang of children go past, and she starts to miss the easy times she and her siblings could run around too. She had even tried to befriend some of these kids, but they only wanted to steal from her and call her names. Arya had to whack one on the ear who tried to steal her boots that were on her at the time. Interesting. A lot of stealing of boots in Arya's story now that I think about it. Oh, oh. yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah. Oh. A boots for friends. <laughs> boots. Uh, puss in boots. Ah. It's Canadian. Oh, I, well, yeah. I was thinking cats in boots. Puss in boots, who is uh, a swordsman mm, and Arya. a fairy tale, but also in Shrek. Um... Oh what God. came first? Who know, who can know? Who can possibly know? There's the that moment of Arya watching the children getting to play with resentment. I feel really parallels. Sansa watching the girls and the Tyrell, like the Tyrell crew getting to be little girls and how Sansa, you know, pities them and envies them, their joy and their innocence. Mm. This great this great resonance between the sisters. Oh yeah, I love that. There's also, this uh, kind of surprised me, right? Catching it this time that it really shows how Arya is an outsider kind of anywhere in some ways and later on has to learn to masquerade as an insider anywhere later on because I think that a lot of people talk about Arya having an easy time making friends and we see that in other chapters but I don't think it's necessarily actually an inherent trait of hers. Like, it's not actually true as I reread this moment. Like, she doesn't always naturally always get along with people in the lower classes. 
right? She does so better than other people in her same social class. But we really see that gap here with her inability to make friends with the other kids. Yeah, that um, I think it also stems too from like her as an outsider there. Like that's interesting, uh, especially with some of the stuff with gender being an outsider, but then also like class being an outsider doesn't really belong. And that kind of, I think, plays into John's storyline too, as we'll see, right? He's an outsider as a bastard, not mm -hmm. really part of like what's acceptable amongst the upper classes. But then when she, he tries to, you know get along with the other people who are from lower classes in the Night's Watch. They're like, you're being a huge asshole. And I'd even go as far to say then, like, this is similar because she goes with the Night's Watch. Oh, and right. she gets some of that same assimilation after this chapter in Clash with Yorin and everyone. I mean, that's some of the most she's gotten along with kids in a while. Yeah, and then they find out that she was born female, and that really makes her a big outsider in the Night's Watch. Um... As Lowe reminds us of the, the Ballad of Danny Flint. So, hard to be an insider yeah. in the Night's Watch with that. Fuck. So, Arya makes her way to Flea Bottom. She's watching a goal. She's thinking of the sea. She wonders if maybe that's the way out. She thinks about the stories that old Nan used to tell her of adventurers riding on trading galleys. And for a moment, Arya thinks, maybe Arya could do that huh. too. Oh. That's a very interesting line that really stood out to me, of Arya's dreams of adventure. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't say to me Sunset Sea, or like going to what's west of Westeros, per se, even though we do have the Alyssa Farm and stuff, but it does feel like, you know, adventure. It feels Corley's-esque, right? Especially because Arya does learn a little bit of salesmanship at some point, I would say, in terms of like a... Uh, Cockles, clams, oysters. Yeah, and learning all the secrets of the people down there, as well as kind of listening on her boat there. Yeah. I mean, she was very interested. She's a very curious child, and I think that's really interesting. Very earnest and eager to learn. Yeah, that's true. Good thing. I think she gets along with adults. In a way, like, when I was a kid, I was very Arya-esque in that she was always curious and asking questions of the adults and more interested in, like, the real people of the world and what they were doing. Mm-hmm. I was very much like that. My mom said that I would just talk to people all the time and that she thought I was going to get kidnapped someday. <laughs> and I was like, no, nah, they would have returned to me. Don't worry. <laughs> I would ask too many questions and they would have given me back. Annoyed as shit. Yeah. Aww. Aww. Uh, half the stalls are empty and fewer ships are docked than normal. And it's very quiet down in Flea Bottom and at the port. She makes her way along the river and she sees guardsmen on a pier wearing gray and white. She almost cries thinking about the stark colors Aww. and realizes this was the boat that was supposed to take them home. She can't read the names on the trading galley docked here. It's in a different language, maybe Bravosi or High Valyrian. She just can't tell. She asks a passing longshoreman who tells her it's the Wind Witch. She thought the Wind Witch left ages ago, but it's still wow. waiting. Sirio's voice, though, echoes in her head, reminding her to look with her eyes as she sees that... She doesn't know any of these men, and she knows all of her father's men. The men here in gray and white aren't her father's men. The guards ask what the boy is doing there. They were looking for a girl, not a boy. She decides to play the boy, asking if they want to buy her dead pigeon, and they tell her to get out of here, so she runs back to Flea Bottom to the stink of the pigsties, of stables, of Tanner's sheds, 
She doesn't even realize she's lost her pigeon until she smells a bowl of brown coming from a pot shop, and she wants to cry again. The way you said that just now of they missed Arya. We're looking. Yeah, for a, mm-hmm. for a boy and not a... Yep. They were looking for a girl and not a boy, etc., but it makes me think of Daenerys and the prophecy. Yep. The princess who was promised. Yeah. I thought about it as soon as I fucking said it. I was like, oh, Both interesting. Like, oh. Fucking interesting. <laughs> ah. Well, the bells begin to ring, Damn. and locals shout to one another, asking, oh, wait, did the boy king die now? Not yet. Um, but a man responds that it's only one tower that's ringing, so it's a summoning bell. It's not all of the bells. That's what happens when a king dies. And then this woman in the doorway like jokes about ringing this man's bell, and it makes me think of, oh, George is just recycling his old innuendo with uh, Gendry's storyline and Bella. Oh, he likes that yeah. line, huh? I wonder if someone used it on him or if he's like used it before because I get that. Well, it's a euphemism. I, mean, I also that's true. It is. It is. It's like a normal, yeah, ringing someone's bell. Anita Ward. Oh, Anita yeah. Ward song. Yeah. yeah, and that's George's time. Yeah, absolutely. It's a. It, it is kind of older slang. Yeah, older slang. It is. People start to run past, scurrying towards the keep, and Arya follows two of the boys who tell her they're taking the hand's head off. There's like this brief moment where for some reason we get someone's name, because this person gets a name, but Hagen's daughter does not. But this person is named Boo, B-U-U, and I'm like, wow, Majin Boo is here in this storyline with us too. From Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> uh... Anyways, Arya trips in a rut, scrapes her knee. It's actually, like, really sad, you know? She's, like, she smashes her fingers, her finger is covered in blood, and, like, half her thumbnail is, like, torn off. And then someone shouts to, Make way for my lords of red wine! And then we have the, like, two red-haired lordlings, Horace and Hobber, they ride through. And Jane and Sansa used to call them horror and slobber, but they don't look very funny now. And, you know, like, Arya almost gets run over, even though she's already injured, it really just, you know, plays up the cruel indifference of the nobles as Arya must scurry away to keep from getting run over. Yeah, I love that the second half of this chapter is very much trappings of power Ooh, yeah. coded, right? Everything is about what they're wearing and who they are. And, and and I love this passage because who the fuck cares about them? Like, Sansa and Jane were right. They were jokingly calling them horror and slobber. Right? The OG left and right here. Mm-hmm. The first left and right before we get the, the next left and right. But they're just big old gingers. Who's going to be afraid of them? They carry their goofiness around all the time. They're just big hulking dudes. Well, when they're all made up in their trappings of power on war horses that are decorated in red wine banners, um, yeah, they look a little scary. Huh? Yeah. But then don't be like, doesn't like shit go bad for them too later on, right? Aren't they like essentially glorified hostages yeah absolutely they uh get theirs for running down Arya. don't worry yeah (laughs) well no i do remember i'm like i remember these boys i feel bad for them uh, for some reason (laughs) they actually try to get out of the city and they bribe someone to take them out and uh varies catches the scheme during feast for crows and a double da because she they're alleged as part of the marjorie banging oh that's right dang Mm mm-hmm Cersei's so wild. She, she I really love that is. girl. Some good. You're wild for that one, Cersei. <laughs> uh, uh, Arya limps along in the crowd, heading towards Baylor's sept. The people surrounding her are all gossiping about the king, and Arya tries to defend Ned, but like no one cares. She gets talked over and kicked over as they all keep moving. Damn, nobody fucking cares. 
Yeah. So coming back to kind of what you were talking about with the flow of information earlier, the small folk knew Ned's fate before Cersei even did, right, in this gossip. And I think that's so interesting that even though there's, a, you know, like Cersei planned that they were going to let her take the black or, you know, take people as prisoners, etc. There was no kill Ned plan. And Joffrey really pulled the wild card there, obviously. But the small folk figured out what was going to happen easily, that this guy who doesn't give a shit because the small folk don't actually fucking care, as we've talked about, they're like, you know, just fucking make sure I don't starve to death and do whatever the fuck you lords want. The small folk are like, yeah, they're going to kill that guy, dude. They're going to kill that guy. Of course they're going to kill the hand. He's a traitor. And lo and behold, he was right. The new king kills Ned. Yeah, I like, I mean, it's not even like it's an information that they gleaned or like that leaked or something, right? Like it's just mm -hmm. wisdom. Yeah. It's wisdom. Like why else would they all be called? Like the whole point is it's a spectacle. Joffrey knows it's a spectacle. Littlefinger, Varys, they all mm -hmm. know it's all spectacle. And they're like, yeah, of course it, he's going to be killed. Even though Varys, I guess, did not know he was going to be killed at that time too. He's like, wait, what about my plans? I had plans too for this hand. Uh... <laughs> Anyway, um, Arya trying to tell everyone, no, he's a good guy. You have to listen to me. It's just like Mulan trying to tell everyone, you don't understand the Emperor is in danger, the Huns are still alive, and no one listens because she's a woman. But for Arya, it's mostly because she's a kid, and uh, now a nobody. No one cares about your political opinion, yeah. random child. Especially when you're a child, yeah. especially when it's for this traitor, quote-unquote. Yeah. They're like, we don't care, we're here for drama. When they reach the Street of Sisters, they're packed shoulder to shoulder, a human current. They're in the tin can that is King's Landing. Uh, the bells clang loudly, and Arya tries to see around all the people. She can't really find a good spot, so instead she climbs up the statue of Baylor the Blessed, the Septon King, she remarks. She wedges herself into his feet and sees Eddard, held on the high Septon's pulpit between two gold cloaks. He wears a grey velvet doublet with a wolf sewn on the front. A grey wool cloak trimmed with fur. He looks thinner than Arya had ever seen him, and the cast on his leg is grey and rotten. Nasty. I like that, you know, there Arya is, wedged between the king's feet, so Arya underfoot. Get it? Yes, yes, she is underfoot, literally, George. Oh, George. George. You and your bells. Oh, George. Every day he just gives me a case of the giggles, <laughs> you know what I mean? Clever man coming to the spectacle, right? Like you said, this is all spectacle. And Ned's outfit, I mean, a wolf sewn, uh, I think it's sewn in pearls. They oh, say, good. this is nicer than he would wear every day on the rag, right? Like, this is not what he would be wearing. He's a more practical man. It's meant to be a performance and display. Uh, it, it reflects, too, on that idea of Cersei not wanting him dead and that Basically, no one except for Joffrey wanted him dead. They wanted him broken. They wanted him as a puppet. And they, Littlefinger. And Littlefinger. They wanted to show the king's grace and forgiveness. Like, this is what's possible from the mm. crown. If you play our game, you can have nice clothes. You can still be fed. You can keep your head. But they wanted to make an example of him, right, for in front of everybody. And Joffrey decided to take the example a little more seriously. That's a great point. I didn't realize that with all of his clothing and that you can retain all these things if you bend the knee, right? That was the lesson that actually they learned from Robert. Mm -hmm. Lift men up when they're Gracious. down. Yeah. And uh, honestly, at least if he was going to go out, he was in some nice clothes, you know? Oh my god. I don't want to die in yeah. something hideous, but probably will. I probably will. I think by that time I won't care. 
Hopefully, you know, I'll be so, I, mean, I don't care. you'll probably shit yourself yeah. anyways, so who cares? I wouldn't want to die in well, Chanel. Well, everyone does shit themselves because your body releases everything when you die. Exactly. So that's why I'm like, why would you want to shit your best clothes? I guess you can't take that's them with you. That's a great point. Yeah. It's just going to be his head atop one of those spikes with the crows. I think I'm like going for a dragon death still. Like, I think like mm. light me up, incinerate me, scatter me somewhere because nothing fucking matters. Moment? But at that you same point, at the same moment. You don't want to die burning. Like, I have the opportunity. I have the, not burning. I mean, like Cremation. afterwards. I mean, how to deal yeah. with me. Yeah. Yeah. Cremate the shit out of me. But like, what I'm saying is. Part of me, you know, a big part of me wants to go for that, but there's this other part of me that's like, deck me out, head to toe, Gucci Prada Fendi, like, just fucking let me look magnificent. I want to be in there with Marabou coming off of my coffin, you know, I want to look you good. You can do both. So you can know. do both. You can do that and have your showing and then be cremated in that same in that same outfit. I've uh, been to a lot of cremations recently. I don't think so. I don't think that's creepy. I said greedy, oh, but I oh. like the creepy too. Okay. Um, I hmm. don't. All right. Much to, much to parse <laughs> through. You know, by the end of this podcast, hopefully the, we'll, yeah, we'll have someday, a will drawn up. You know, like the next. <laughs> <laughs> oh, will uh. we? So everyone else's steez is out. The Saptin is here. He's wearing his gold and crystal crown and all the light is coming through and shining around and blinding motherfuckers, you know, because you shouldn't be just wearing gold and crystal like that all the time. And the thing's huge. Like, it's described and it's a monster. Um, at the doors of the Sept are a group of nobility and knights, Joffrey prominent among them in crimson, silk, and satin, patterned with prancing stags and roaring lions, a crown on his head. Cersei stands next to him. In a black morning gown slashed with crimson, a veil of black diamonds in her hair. You know, yeah, wow. speaking of what's where, like, I know I shouldn't in this moment, but, like, that fit. Cersei's fit. The veil of black diamonds in her hair, like, an icon. I mean... No, you should. You absolutely should. Never say you shouldn't mm. if Cersei is wearing a fit like this. Like, we should all she bow. She a lot. Uh, she makes... She makes mourning and death so much sexier than it already is, right? So, Kocher, it's incredible. And there's almost something here, too, of, like, Cersei is standing here, all Kocher, and then the next time she has to go for a very big walk around King's Landing. It's not great for her in A Dance with Dragons for multiple ways, but that Ned's plot in A Game of Thrones ends with his great spectacle and her plot in a dance with dragons ends with her great spectacle is very interesting yeah. the last published book may i add what do you mean the winds of winter it's out now oh my god look, look under, under your, your chair. chair and yeah i mean she has a lot of great outfits in general but you know you were talking about the spectacle and like performance like she's pretending she's out here pretending she is mourning robert's death like she did not have a very big hand in it Mm -hmm. But uh, she she's she's playing up that trope, right? Of like widow who killed her husband, and she's killing it. How could they have done Literally. this to my husband? <laughs> Looks good. I loved him. <laughs> uh, so the hound wears his dark armor with a snowy white cloak. Chloe's having a great time. There's four Kingsguard around him. Varys is in a patterned damask robe and slippers, and. Then Arya sees a man with a silver cape and pointed beard, and she wonders, like, oh, is that the guy who fought a duel for her mom once? Yeah, true. What is he doing here? Get that man out. In their midst, it's Sansa in sky blue silk, her long auburn hair washed and curled, silver bracelets are on her wrist, and Arya scowls, wondering, like, 
Why is she here looking so happy? See, Sansa lightning round. She thinks things are going to go great. Yeah, but <laughs> both these girls about to get a really bad lesson. Um, A line of gold cloaked spearmen are commanding the crowd and the bells cease their tolling. It brings quiet to the square. Drama. Drama. Eddard is pushed to speak. I am Eddard Stark, Lord of Winterfell and Hand of the King, and I come before you to confess my treason in the sight of gods and men. No. Below her, the crowd began to scream and shout. Taunts and obscenities filled the air. Sansa had hidden her face in her hands. Her father raised his voice still higher, straining to be heard. I betrayed the faith of my king and the trust of my friend Robert. I swore to defend and protect his children. Yet before his blood was cold, I plotted to depose and murder his son and seize the throne for myself. Let the High Septon and Baylor the Beloved and the Seven bear witness to the truth of what I say. Joffrey Baratheon is the one true heir to the Iron Throne, and by the grace of all the gods, Lord of the Seven Kingdoms, and Protector of the Realm. I did not think about this before, but then he says, Let the High Septon, Baylor the Blessed, and the Seven bear witness to the truth of what I say. Edder doesn't fucking believe in the Seven. Not a fucking damn moment does that man believe in the Seven. That is not his religion. Come on, somebody use your fucking brain out here. He's sitting there and he's like, which would be so cool if any of them existed. Yeah, he's like, only the old gods. Anyways, someone throws a stone at Eddard, very rude, and then blood runs down his forehead. Eddard Stark died for our sins, okay. Uh, More stones follow. The Kingsguards step in front of the Queen and Joffrey, shielding them. And then Arya prays for the gods to keep Eddard safe. This one is a, you know, vague gods. Arya is from a multicultural home. Truly any god at this point. She's like, please fucking save my yeah. dad. Yeah. The High Septon knelt before Joffrey and his mother. As we sin, so do we suffer. He intoned in a deep, swelling voice, much louder than father's. This man has confessed his crimes in the sights of gods and men. Here in this holy place, rainbows danced around his head as he lifted his hands in entreaty. The gods are just, yet blessed Baylor taught us they are also merciful. What shall be done with this traitor, your grace? A thousand voices were screaming, but Arya never heard them. Prince Joffrey, no, King Joffrey, stepped out from behind the shields of his king's guard. My mother bids me let Lord Eddard take the black, and Lady Sansa has begged mercy for her father. He looked straight at Sansa then and smiled. And for a moment, Arya thought that the gods had heard her prayer until Joffrey turned back to the crowd and said, But they have the soft hearts of women! So long as I am your king, treason shall never go unpunished. Sir Illyn, bring me his head! The crowd roared, and Arya felt the statue of Baylor rock as they surged against it. I think that was a new Joffrey um, voice for me, but I, I loved that one. it. No, I, I loved it, was good. it. We finally um, found it. It was almost very Bart Simpson. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I think I'd like think. you to now imagine Bart Simpson as Joffrey in your head. He is golden. Hmm. 
Mm-hmm. If you think about it. Or um, the color of piss. It could be either. It could be. So this line, Blessed Baylor taught us that uh, they should also be merciful, right? And here is Arya at the statue of Baylor at the feet of mercy and Arya's story and mercy. That's so clever and it's so true, bestie. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. I, I, I've been thinking a lot about Baylor and, and the role of this taking place at his statue, right? And, and the gardening of Baylor, like on a meta note. I don't think George had everything shaded out about Baylor at this point, uh, just from the progression of what he puts into books mm. and when. Uh, like, for example, in Clash, Tyrion thinks at one point when he's fucking Shay, he's like, I'm fucking her so loudly I could wake Baylor in the tomb. And like, in today's modern A Song of Ice and Fire, many years later after that's been published, we assume that, you know, most Targaryens die by fire, or after their death, I mean, their bodies are usually cremated, right? That's a good point. It could be his ashes in the tomb. That's fine. I- I'm not trying to nitpick. Mm-hmm. I don't give a shit what George says. He can say whatever he wants, and I'll just believe it every time. But we know that's changed a little, right? So we know. Who knows what's going on there? I also think the Septon King stuff is so interesting, and it's only stood out a couple times on Reed. Uh, he has called him a Septon King, even as recently as the World of Ice and Fire in 2015. Well, uh, and it's interesting that it's implied that he became a Septon after he dissolves his marriage to Diana, obviously, because you can't be a Septon and have a wife and kids. Uh, and he asks the High Septon to dissolve his marriage. So that means, like, he had a very brief window of time that he became, he decided to become a Septon in. Because he comes, he di- he dies at, like, age 27. Uh Oh, he's just like Kurt Cobain. Kurt Cobain. <laughs> and Amy wow. Winehouse. Wow. Very depressing. Um, yeah, he right? dies. Amy at, Winehouse is one of those. Yeah, right? the Twenty Seven Club. It's just crazy that he like did something for four years in his twenties, and that's what he's remembered as. You know, I'm like, what? I'd love to hear more about his Septon Kingness, and obviously, he's more associated with the good he's done for the small folk slash the the faith slash etc. Yes or no, good. We won't. We won't ever know. But I think we will get more info. That's actually one of the things I'm looking forward to getting more about mm-hmm. in Fire and Blood Two: Baylor the Blessed, and of course, yes. his sisters. I really, really want more about his sisters. Fuck Baylor. All I care about um, are the Maiden Vault girlies. We love the Maiden Vault girlies. Yeah. They should Ooh. fucking have statues, not this man. Um, oh, that would be so much better. Uh, it would be so much more girl boss if Eddard Stark could be killed in front of a statue of <laughs> Elena and Diana and Reyna. I would love that. So much more girl boss. <laughs> God damn it. But, <laughs> God damn it, Chloe. Yes, it would, though. Um, no, Baylor is interesting. And as you said, right, like, we don't know the truth of what happened with him, just like all these people do not know the truth of what happened here with Eddard Stark. Mm hmm. Yes, that's a great point, because I do think George has something more in mind with these connections. And, you know, I started to kind of think of some of those connections, like marriage proposals gone wrong, right, when it comes to Dorne, and the torturing of Aemon and Baylor, like walking across the Vipers to save him and that he should have died. But somehow he lives. And uh, Ned doesn't survive this walk across the Vipers, unfortunately, because they, you know, poisoned him to death by taking his head off. Yes, he does not. He does not survive that. And I mean, like what? Baylor did a lot of things that were weird to try and secure his power, kind of like Joffrey is too, you know, very suspicious mm-hmm. things. And I will say, sometimes I get a little confused 
this is one of the moments where I get confused with the show and the books. And it is a moment that I kind of like from the show that Eddard does at least see his daughter, his when other daughter Baylor. one last time. Obviously he sees Sansa, because uh, she's right there thinking, like, I did it, good job team. Um, He did it, oh. read it. Yo, but, uh, if he got to see Arya, then it would be like, not only did in his last moment, he almost see Catelyn, he almost sees Lyanna. Yeah, so... He doesn't here, but like, you know, no, in the show, right, no. he calls out Baylor to Yorin so that Yorin will find and take care of his daughter. But anyway, that doesn't happen here. Sansa's falling to her knees. She's sobbing. Sir Illing climbs the steps of the pulpit. Arya wiggles out into the crowd, drawing needle. She really thinks she's about to do something. Um, The gold cloaks fling Eddard to the marble and Arya bowls past, kicking at shins, climbing backs. But there are too many people and she's still... Here's Sansa screaming. Yeah, quite obviously, this is a very traumatic moment. It's about to be made even more traumatic, and everything is just ringing in her ears, right? Everything feels surreal as you're reading this. And this is not the plan. Her diving out into the crowd, drawing needle, like, what was she going to do exactly? But it's interesting because it, it, it spurs this whole entire journey of her wanting to kill the people who have tormented her and her family and do revenge mm. against them as whoa. we've so whoa whoa <laughs> this is not an ad this is not an ad for do revenge we are doing this of our will um but yeah it, it it's especially if my you know little theory we've talked about ever comes true of her and her mommy having a little meeting with her mom and her mm. sending cat to the afterlife right because here she just wants to get to that stage of this performance and kill everyone on that stage you know, to get to her dad and save him. She just wants to do anything to get to him. And then she goes through the next few books, wanting to kill these people and avenge her family, and then... Womp, womp, womp. Yeah, which, I mean, makes a lot of sense. You look at mm-hmm. Doran Martell nursed that desire for revenge for a long-ass time. Um, Arya actually witnessed it. Yeah. And also knows it was wrong. Like, I get it. I do love that there's something interesting, like Joffrey instigating this and no one else being involved. It makes me wonder, back when George originally kind of thought about that 93 outline, for example, Rob versus Joffrey, this would instigate the North. Absolutely. So if Joffrey wanted that fight with Rob, this would be a great way to get it. But of course, alas, that has been pruned away. It's not a thing. Yeah. It is a. It, it does later on serve to contrast when Rob mm-hmm. does his own beheading, right? For also like, was this the wisest choice for you to do, as well? And yeah. you know, creates this contrast between them and how they rule. But yeah, very interesting. Sir Ilan raises a huge sword. It's ice, her father's sword, and her tears are streaming down Arya's face, blinding her. A hand shoots out and closes around her arm, wrenching her off her feet, and a thick voice snarls at her not to look. Close your eyes, boy. The man's fingers dig into her arms. Look at me, he snarls, saying, remember, boy? The smell of sour wine does remind her. It's Yorin. Oh, yeah, close your eyes. Um, Blue eyes, green eyes. Eyes are close forever. I, yeah, I totally got the order wrong, but that's okay, it's not canon. Whatever. That I mean, it is. Canon. It is canon. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh anyways the difference in actually that's so interesting that it's the smell you know she's learning mm-hmm. how to do the her senses right like that it's the smell that tells her who this person is she's like who the fuck um anyway 
besides the difference in the lesson that, you know, neither of the girls learned about Northern justice from Ned by getting to see Ned uh, execute and someone for breaking the law, right? Instead, Sansa and Arya learn about vengeance because it was someone close to them and it was unjust what they saw. And that's the difference also between Bran. He's told by John, he's like, you have to look. Father will know if you don't look, all right? He'll know if you look away. Versus a different brother of the Night's Watch telling Arya, don't look. Because, I mean, this really isn't something that she needs to see and, like, steal herself for, right? The way that it is for Bran, you know, and administering justice. Like, what she's seeing is very much a different thing. Even though Garrod was kind of right. But whatever. Yeah, I, I like that you've drawn that comparison of the boys having to stare at death and the girls being sheltered from it. And it obviously it's not some seeing your dad be killed compared to somebody you don't know is a very different thing. Maybe possibly probably traumatizes probably. you in a different way, but to go back to, you know, those ideas like did they hear Eddard Stark's real last words? Well, not really. Baylor. You mean Baylor? <laughs> uh yeah and also like you have that contrasted i mean with bran right he watches them die and then later mm -hmm. on he becomes them as they die <laughs> wow wow you're just full of it today aliana you're killing me i'm um, always well am i killing you don't look everyone oh my god yorin commands the boy to come with him and keep his mouth shut the plaza begins to empty and Arya moves along Desolate, numb. Yorin shoves her into a doorway and takes her hair in one hand, a blade in the other. As the blade flashed toward her face, Arya threw herself backward, kicking wildly, wrenching her head from side to side. But he had her by the hair, so strong she could feel her scalp tearing, and on her lips the salt taste of tears. Ugh, what an end to a chapter. And there's something... Kind of cool. I, I like some of what George pulls on from this chapter later in the story because uh, there's the obvious comparison of Yorin being similar to Sandor in a lot of ways physically. Uh, he has dark hair, gruff, wine, stenchy wine smelling breath. I mean, that's like the sour wine smell is always on their breath. And the ending of A Storm of Swords 13, for example, where Sandor is like, all right, this shit's going haywire. Clock you with an axe. Come on, kid. That's similar to the abrupt ending of this chapter, right? In a way that you're like, some man just grabbed Arya and cut all her hair off with a knife and flashed a knife at her. And for a moment, you're almost scared until you're like, yeah. oh, Yorin should be good. Uh, but the the action, the violence against her, all of the way of it, it's written is also very similar to Sandor with the axe. Now, it's not just similar, though, to Sandor with the axe with Arya in Arya Asos 13. I actually feel like this is very similar to Sandor in Sansa, the knife, right? Pulling the knife against her. Look at me, the roughness, the sour smell of wine. The language is actually really similar to, I think it's Sansa 7, A Clash of Kings, right? When he comes to her bedroom and holds the knife against her. I should know that, so I think that's one of those. I do not know. I was like, yeah, you should know that, Chloe. It's one of those fucking chat. We haven't done those chapters in a while, and Sansa is next. That's true. So, thank Sansa God. is the next POV. <laughs> uh, and. and the other thing that it reminds me of is the language is similar to Catelyn's death as well, right? 
He had her by the hair so strong she could feel her scalp tearing, on her lips the taste of tears, very reminiscent of the way Catalan dies. Don't cut yeah. my hair, Ned loves my hair, as the tears streamed white down her face. And I love that you've tied it to Catelyn's, I mean, that is actually Catelyn's death, but the language there, because I mean, I think you can really see the similarities, right, between the desperation of Catelyn doing anything in order to try and save her son. She's like, mm -hmm. what? I mean, what is Catelyn gonna do, right? What is Catelyn, of all people, just one of her gonna do against this entire party, literally, uh, hellbent on killing her son? Same as Arya, right? Like, what? Mm -hmm. what is she gonna do? What is one little girl gonna do against a crowd that wants this death or against the king of Westeros and, you know, his very experienced guardsmen, who many of whom have been in war, or someone like Ilan Payne, who seems like a very good fighter, you know? Yeah, and Yorin here kind of serves as that, you know, that one point of, like, it's not too late, you can't cut your way out of this, and doing so would only mean your death, so to cut yourself out of a mob at King's Landing and still die like is it worth it at the end of the day to get your vengeance against these people or is it worth it to save it for another day or maybe even get over it and do something more productive right um yeah which is this i mean that's the question for her plot right for the next several books going forward that's what she is going to be finding and looking for the answer to that yeah and to make sure you know he makes sure that she doesn't get caught right because for her she's like She's ready to do anything to, to stop this from happening, and even though, because she was not going to be successful. For all we know, Joffrey's going to catch her and be like, yo, let's kill her too while we're at it, because she hurt me and I hate her. Look, but, the Stark traitor, it's in her blood. She's right yeah, here. And then Sansa exactly. too. Exactly. Well, I do think that, like, you know, if they had Arya, I don't know if she would have survived in King's yeah. Landing, because she would have pissed Joffrey off too much. But, yeah, I don't know, like, there's, it's it's a chapter where, based on everything that you know, right, about the fantasy tropes, mm -hmm. you're like, she's gonna make it. She's gonna make it there to the front. We're gonna save Dad. And then we don't save Dad, but we don't even see him, like, really die, you know? Like, that's mm -hmm. a moment that's cut off. We know it happened there in the background, based on everything happening, but... It is interesting that this is the only chapter we get to see Ned's death from and we don't even get to see it. Yeah. I mean, we know that it happens because of Sansa's chapters, right? Like, it's off-page, but it's not off-page. And um, what I'm saying is there. he could still be alive in one of these pigeons. He is in all of the- in every pigeon that has ever existed. Look up in the sky. There he is. That's Ned Stark here for our sins. If you see a pigeon, just know that's Ned. Who did that's indeed Ned. die for our sins. Yes. That's Fucking Ned Christ. right okay. there. Jesus <laughs> Yes, Lord. Christ. It is Jesus, Lord. That is what we are likening Ned to right now. Oh, man. What do you think of this last act? I'm opening up a whole other can of worms. What do you think of this last act that Arya sees of her father, whom she's always seen as this like upstanding guy who's always like there showing her morality? The last thing he does being a lie, that he lies. It's interesting, right? Because to her, it's not, it is a lie. It's probably a bold-faced lie. But to her, it's like her dad just sold out on a stage. And she doesn't know the dimension of how and why he sold out. Right? Yeah. And, and the protection that it was for, for her sister, for her. Uh, not just for them, but 
for John, the true heir to the throne who he's been lying about his whole fucking life, right? What's one more to lie about if it means keeping the children safe and keeping them from dying? Yeah, exactly. It's, I think it's like a really powerful thing for Arya to witness, but unfortunately she doesn't know the gravity of it yet. I think we'll definitely get a little more of that when she gets reunited with her siblings, right? Like, I'm expecting a lot more of some of those like moments of understanding about her family to come to her then. Because right now she doesn't really have time or need to think about those things. All she wants is her family back. And she's nine. Yeah, that too. That's the other thing is like, also, it's true, right? To her, she wouldn't understand the irony being, right? Like she just immediately joins up with Robert's bastard, who looks actually like Robert. <laughs> um, yeah. the, the great, beautiful irony. She doesn't understand the context of like, John bastard, bastard bad. Oh, no, what if I look like bastard? But she still loves John, but she knows it's wrong, but not really the why. You know, she's not at the point in her life where she understands the why. And so to her, I mean, Joffrey is the king, right? Robert's dead and Joffrey is the heir. She knows Joffrey's evil. So to her, she probably also was like, fuck Joffrey. He's a dick. And uh, I can't believe he made my dad say that stuff. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, all those things are true about Joffrey. And like, yeah, part of why she was able to love john so fiercely is part of why she's like i don't understand why we give a fuck about joffrey like who cares he's a loser and should not be king even though he's the king we should not respect him i will say i just realized that you know maybe sansa and Arya's really great lying skills turns out it's not just something that they learn maybe it is a little innate because they got that really really strong liar's blood in them because Turns out Ned, actually, when you put it like what you were saying earlier, fantastic liar. Ned is probably one of the best fucking liars in the whole yeah. series, and no one knows, right? Tyrion's all like, oh, we're all liars here, all of us better than you. And it's like, not, no, Ned Stark, best liar of all time. Yeah, he had to keep that to himself for so long. So, so, then, so, so long. This last act. Look at all these people who fucking bought it, you know? Amazing. BAFTA. It's interesting when people kind of say that Ned was a bad player, because he wasn't playing, is the thing. He didn't want to play that game. He was playing a completely different game. So, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe get on his level and play that game next time. Because he was, he was playing 7D chess. You know, Littlefinger isn't even at 5D yet. Okay. Ned's not playing... I don't know what Ned is playing. He's playing Bat the Gammon. game you're playing, Medieval whatever, or he's playing Medieval Dynasty. <laughs> Dynasty. Or he's playing Stardew Valley, and all of you are playing chess, and Ned's like, whoa. I'm not sure that those are the comparisons, but we can workshop them for next week. We'll work on it. Uh, thank you so much for listening in to Arya 5 in a Game of Thrones where Ned Stark died for our sins. Yes. Uh, it was wonderful covering his death once more. I'm <laughs> looking forward to not having to cover his death much more. I think we have, what, Tyrion is the only other one to really cover cover his death. Mm, that is, like, real-time-ish. Yeah, yeah. I guess. Danny, we get a couple off comments, but not death. She's really she- far away. Yeah, she ain't there. You have Cersei. Um... Few books about Ned. later, but yeah. yeah. So I guess Tyrion would be our next someday, some year. Keep your uh, 
feelers on that one. Who knows when it could be? We'll cover Ned's death once more. <laughs> the final time. I guess. But this is really, like, this is the time. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is. It is. Well, <gasps> my god, we'll be back next week. We're gonna jump into A Clash of Kings, and I, I'm gonna enjoy that. I love Arya and Clash. I'm gonna really like those chapters and get into getting to know the road, the lay of the land with you. Yeah. Arya's got some great world-building chapters. Mm-hmm. Eliana, where can the folks find us? Well, you can definitely find us probably on social media. On Twitter. I said probably because now I'm not so sure. Twitter slash X. We are currently on twitter.com slash girlsgonecanon. That's C-A-N-O-N. But now you can definitely find us on Blue Sky at they've got complicated handles, but you can find Girls Gone Canon on Blue Sky. I'm not gonna type it out. It's in our show notes and somewhere that you can send us some thoughts that we will cover is at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. We did just recently get um I did not see it in time for our preparing for this. We did get someone who sent us, I believe some animals, some animal I saw picks. I saw him. I saw him. But I'm sure we'll talk about it another day. But I saw him. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> I'm always looking at animal pics. That's my secret. Same. Uh, well, here is a quick note from our patrons on where else you can subscribe to us. You can catch Girls Gone Canon on any of the following streamers. On Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Acast, Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Audible, and Amazon Podcasts. You can also join us on Patreon, where if you join the Thunder tier or above, you have access to a Discord and monthly happy hours and things like that. And by joining the Discord, you get access to a bunch of great channels, including but not limited to memes and shit posting channel, Fashion Hour. There are multiple channels for historic materials, A Song of Ice and Fire. There's a Pets channel, which I think is probably the most important channel of all. Respectful Thirsting, because there's a channel for that. Come by, join the community. It's a lot of fun, and you won't regret it. Thanks to our patrons over at patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon. That is, of course, the only group of people that sponsor us slash that we would call an ad, right? Because those are our homies. Uh, we don't do ads for others. We are sponsored by them. So thank you all again. As always, I have been one of your hosts, Chloe. And I have been another one of your hosts, Eliana. He's dead. He's, He's fucking dead. dead. Oh my god. Uh, uh. Yeah. Bye. <laughs>